0: Welcome to the Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton, and joining me today is Ian McKenzie. Now, today is going to be a little bit different in the sense that Ian is going to be interviewing me. And Ian reached out recently to see if I'd be interested in being on the other side of the microphone for my own show and really having a, a conversation about fatherhood, my journey into fatherhood. What it's been like for me so far, uh, the challenges, you know, what brought me to the decision of being able to to want to move into the space of being a father, and especially in a time of chaos and and uh, pandemic and crisis within our within our world. And so, I've known Ian for a number of years. He is a filmmaker. He's a writer who lives on the Salish Sea, and for over ten years, he has been tracking the global emergence of new culture. From the desert of Burning Man to the heart of Occupy Wall Street, he has sought and amplified the voices of visionaries, artists, and activists who have been working towards planetary system change. He's best known for his films Sacred Economics, Lost Nation Roads, Amplify Her, and Occupy Love. He is also the founder of the Mystic Masculine podcast. So he is no no stranger to narratives, to putting together a good story. And so I thought it'd be an interesting opportunity for some of you that have had a lot of questions about my my journey into fatherhood and what it's been like for me, what challenges have come up and just a, an opportunity to sort of pull back the curtain and talk a little bit more about my experience into parenthood, into fatherhood. So if you know of someone that you think would benefit from this conversation, please do share this episode. Oh, and and by the way, don't forget to go leave a rating and review. It goes a long way into ranking the show and helping us get onto the phones and ears of the people. And if you know of people that you think would enjoy some of these conversations, the best way for this podcast, for this message, for the, the conversations that I have week in and week out for the best way for that to grow is through you. And so if you ever feel called, if you're ever having a conversation with a friend and you're like, you know what? I listened to a podcast that's about this. I would be deeply honored and grateful for you to share this message. So don't forget to share the podcast as well. So without any further delay, please welcome Ian McKenzie. Good to be here. Good, man. Good. Well, we. Uh, this is obviously a little bit I I don't know if backwards is the right word, but (laughs) it's a little bit of an unusual format from what we usually have. And I think that's, I think it's good. Uh, You know, you reached out and offered to to chat with me and sort of interview me about my experience of coming into fatherhood. And I've had quite a few people recently through Instagram and Facebook and just, you know, through email and whatnot, asking me a lot of questions about what my experience has been. And so I, I sort of welcome this opportunity for you to to dig into some of those questions that I think a lot of people have. So I think, you know, in many ways, you're going to kind of guide the conversation today. And you're a father as well of a two year old, two year old son, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm, I'm sure that you'll contribute along the way as well. But I'm looking forward to this conversation about, about fatherhood.
1: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So is that it? That's over to me.
0: That's it, man. That's okay. all you. I'm just gonna. I was <laughs> gonna hand the reins over. If there's anything else you want to mm. uh, preface in this conversation, or uh, you know, I've told them a little bit about you. But if there's anything else that you want to maybe say about giving some context for this mm. conversation or container, I think that's welcome.
1: Okay. Yeah. Thanks, brother. Thanks for saying yes. Yeah, I'm really appreciating the opportunity to speak with you about fatherhood and, and coming to fatherhood and. Maybe what it's been so far for you, because what do you think there's some power in, in having fathers get together and be able to speak about it in this way? I spoke with uh, Sacred Sons, some of their co founders, Adam Jackson, about fatherhood as well. And it was such a really beautiful conversation. And so I thought, you know, pass it along here and hold this kind of uh, uh, moment for you. Cool. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, without further ado, I mean, one question I'd love to know is Did you always know you wanted to be a father, or did it, you know, come on when the conditions were right? you know, you met the right woman or whatever it was. Yeah. You know, I'm curious your relationship to that.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a sort of an interesting journey or evolution to get to fatherhood. You know, I think for many years, I kind of resisted the idea of being a father for a number of reasons. Mm. And most of which sort of revolved around or were consumed by the idea that who I was a decade ago was someone who uh, was woefully ill-equipped to take care of another human being, in my perspective. And most of that was predicated on the very close proximity that I had to the realization and the understanding that I could barely take care of myself. <laughs> and <laughs> and I've always kind of held this this framework or belief that certain roles in life should have some pre-qualifiers, some prerequisites, you know, much like when you enter into college or university, there are prerequisites that you must have in order to get into that space, in order to move into that space. You know, you have to have gone to high school, uh, you have to have your diploma, you, you have to have proven in some way that you've done some some work in order to step into that arena hmm. of college, university. And In our culture, there there is none of that when it comes to parenthood, right? It's Mm -hmm. a sort of, it's a free for all. It's like anybody can get in, there's no prerequisite, doesn't matter. But for me, the prerequisite was always this deep sensation or experience of wanting or knowing that I had moved into a place in my life where the bare minimum that I had accomplished was that I could say with some certainty that I had managed to acquire a skill set of tending to myself, mm-hmm. not from an egotistical or, or arrogant way, but from a place of knowing that I had moved beyond some quality of adolescence where I wasn't so beholden to my own addictions and distractions and wanderings in a way that that pulled me away from the gravity and gravitas that I felt around being a father, because for me, it felt like a very serious role. It felt like a very responsible role and something that, if not taken seriously, really could be detrimental in a lot of ways. And I think that there's a lot of data and research that I've come across over the years that emphasizes that, that the role of the father is quite important, much like the role of the mother. And so for me, there was this felt responsibility of knowing that if and when I did step into that role, that it was something that I wanted to have been prepared for in, in some way. And so, you know, I think the journey to get here was was interesting. And I think it was paved in in some ways by my inner compass and external experiences of do I feel ready to attend for another life? Do I feel ready to even step into the role of responsibility? And do I even want to bring another life form into this world? Because I think if, if I'm really being honest, a lot of stepping into this role brought about some quite profound existential questions that caused me to look at the time that we're living in, you know, that we're living in some ways chaos, and we're living in extreme isolation and we're living in uncertainty and we're living in times of collapse and breakdown and fear mongering and, and, and many things that can seem catastrophic. And I hear a lot of people that are much smarter than me talking about the end of times and talking about how we should all be paying attention because things are are pretty bad. <laughs> and so, you know, I think in the last few years, as, as I've, you know, I met my wife, Vienna, and we started talking about having children, it really was a discourse. And it really was a conversation of, do we want to even bring uh, another soul into this world? And is that something that we can tend to, something that we can give attention to, something that we can do in almost like the, the noblest fashion with the responsibility that comes along with that everyone knows, right? Everyone knows, regardless of whether you are choosing to be a parent or it's thrust upon you, everyone knows that there's a certain responsibility that comes along with that, that we maybe sometimes don't want to look at or acknowledge but in many ways, there, there was this questioning of, man, do I even want to bring a child into this world that can sometimes seem really on the brink? And, and I don't think that that's just my individual subjective perspective. You know, I think that's very much within our cultural ethos right now that we can feel this sense. And so it brought up a lot of personal questions. It brought up a lot of existential questions. It, I mean, it really... It really brought up a lot of things. I think what made it palpable, in some sense, or or it, what opened it up for me was one. I mean, my wife is amazing, and so our our relationship is conducive to the knowing that certainly there are you know challenges and obstacles that we face within our relationship, but that who we are are people who, I like. I, I wrote a letter to uh, to my unborn son before, and I, I released it on the podcast. If, like a month ago. And in it, I say, you know, I, you, you're being welcomed into a house of stubborn hearts, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, that's the best way that I can think to describe both my wife and myself. Like we, we are stubborn hearts. We love fiercely and loyally and we are stubborn. And so <laughs> that has its own unique challenges, but, um, but there is deep love and, uh, I think that welcoming a child into our space and creating room within our family and expanding that family, um, there was sort of a knowledge that 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 child would be welcomed into an ecosystem that had love in it. And that's, that's something, you know, that's actually something in a world where not a lot of kids get that. Mm -hmm. And not to come at it from a a place of wanting to bring children into the world from an altruistic standpoint, you know, out of hope or future generations or anything like that, but to know that we could at least provide in some ways like the bare minimum, (laughs) which was a loving embrace, you know? And so that was, that was a part of it. No, you know, meeting my wife and having the relationship that we have was a part of it. I think seeing myself, And my own journey, and coming into a place where I sort of knew that I could take care of a child in some way to provide financially, with presence, with time, with energy, with with love, with structure. All of that was there, and so those were a lot of the. I know I just laid out a lot of a lot of this sort of thoughts and concepts. I mean, I can just pause there to see what what stands out for you, and and maybe where you want to take that. And also, I just want to say, you know, I really trust your, I've listened to quite a few of your podcasts in preparation for this, and so I really trust your guidance and your your interviewing skills, and so I, I trust you to take the conversation wherever you see fit. Mm. Mm. Thanks, Connor.
1: Yeah, very rich territory. You know,
0: I, I agree that
1: there is a real sense of uncertainty in this time and sense of, uh, you know, is it responsible even to bring a child in, you know, at this time of great uncertainty? and you know for me just a little of that i for a long time you know i wondered about it and i thought yeah i kind of vaguely wanted to feel like yeah that that's one time i want to participate in fatherhood in some fashion you know but it never really clicked until i met the, the partner the woman that you know it made sense with and hmm. sometimes they they do say it takes that other to to make it make sense but that being said the road into that yes too felt you know it was precarious because it was a sense of yeah like you know what are we what world are they being received into and at the same time, I, I got to think that there's this dilemma for almost any age, right? You can imagine being middle of World War II, or you know, in the Great Depression, or you know, all these other times when, of course, it was very uncertain, and yet somehow the children were granted to us. So mm. I just want to highlight that too. Yeah, it's always like you know the age we're in, it always feels the most uncertain, perhaps. But you know, for you, I'm curious. In all of that uncertainty, and and even the sense of yeah, you know what, I can take care of myself. I can feel like I can take care of a being now. So what was there that moment? You're like. Yes, the clarity came to you.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a sequence of events that led up to moments where I could acknowledge that it was something that I wanted to step into. I remember my wife and I were in our apartment in Manhattan and we were having a conversation I don't really remember what we were discussing, but I think we had just finished watching this show that called "This Is Us." I don't know mm-hmm. If you've ever heard of it, but it's all about family dynamics, and it's a very rich structure of of a family dynamic, very complex, complicated family dynamics. And and for me, that's what I felt. I felt very aligned with that because for me that felt similar to my own family dynamics, you know, having grown up between two families, having two moms, two dads, you know, four oldest of five, but, Mm. um, you know, all of them are half siblings and living between these two family systems that that were identical in structure. You know, my sisters are very close in age. My brothers are very close in age. My my family systems look identical on both sides, but the characters in the game are wildly different. You know, like my mom and my stepmom are polar opposites. And all of the characters are polar opposites in many ways. Mm. And so, you know, we we had just watched the show and I said, you know, I think one of the things that I have always been curious about in my life is what it would look like to not feel like an orphan in this world in some capacity, even though I had this very big infrastructure and, and, and framework of family, I had still sort of <clears throat> identified as this floating entity between those systems. Mm-hmm. And so there always was this curiosity of what would it look like for me to get to a place where I could see myself building a framework or a structure around family that was cohesive, you know, that I, that I really felt this kind of belonging in, and then to commit myself to become someone who could provide a sense of belonging for a child, you know, in a world where belonging is a very fucking difficult task, right? It's a very difficult task in our modern culture to feel a sense of belonging. And, and, you know, in a lot of ways, our modern culture is built on the idea of selling belonging. Marketing belonging to people and and distributing belonging and getting belonging through virtual likes and thumbs up and comments and shit like mm-hmm. that. And so, in this conversation, you know, I, I I said, you know, I think I I think I could I feel this part of me that's not only curious about this, but is that is sort of longing for it in some way to bring a sense of cohesiveness into a family structure. I think in a selfish way on some, on some level in, in a selfish way, it was like, this is partly for me, but also partly, partly knowing that if I can bring a child into the world, that, that maybe I can embark on this journey of seeing what it's like to help develop belonging within another entity. And that, that in, in some ways has a sacred component to it, you know, a sort of sacred ingredient that I think we often as human beings miss out on in, in our world and in our culture is that we we're all looking for belonging, but very few of us embark on the journey of trying to develop a skill set or a mindset of how do we actually create belonging for others mm. in a very meaningful way. And and so I think that that was also a part of the the thought process. And, you know, my wife was very open. Vienna was very open to you know having kids or not kids and we we kind of went back and forth for years truly and then you know in this one conversation I was like yeah let's let's do it you know like let's let's just see what life presents for us let's try and if god the universe life so decides to gift us a child then let us embark on that path and if god life in the universe does not then then we'll know that that's a sign that we're not meant to to take up that that banner and so and so we did and it unfolded you know months months later during, <laughs> during the pandemic uh which mm. was paradoxical in its own nature but mm. yeah mm. yeah thanks for that
1: you know i'm thinking of the words of a uh, this fellow named Matthew Remsky, who actually is, hmm. um, I knew in a previous world through his friend, my friend, collaborator Michael Stone. He's a, sort of an older brother figure to me. We collaborated on some films, but they wrote a book actually, the two of them, two fathers, called "Family Wakes Us Up," and it's hmm. letters to each other actually that they wrote while expecting their their children. For one of them, for Matthew, it was his first, and then for Michael, I think it was his second. And, um, there was just some line that I believe it was Matthew who wrote, which I just so exquisitely articulated, which for him as a man, he said something like, you know, he was sort of exhausted with the ability to, to kind of do whatever he wanted. Like, and it's such a good frame, you know, that, that, that is a kind of exhaustion that Mm -hmm. this kind of like, well, you know, I'm just to be be beholden to oneself. You know, he had a partner, of course, that he was just like, you know, I'm actually looking forward to losing ability because I'm kind of exhausted by it, you know? And yeah. And I never really, you know, I felt it before. I read it before my son Oren was born as well. But afterwards as well, I really started to appreciate that even more of this kind of, uh, you know, part of this, what you give up consciously, actually, right? To 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 make sacred in a way, which is, of course, the origin of the word uh, sacrifice is actually to to make sacred, to offer something mm-hmm. up. And so I wonder for you on that approach to the actual birth, and I will love to get to a little bit of the birth story in a moment, but maybe in the final approach, you know, a few words about the, the pregnancy and that time and the anticipation.
0: Yeah. I mean, my experience was a little counter to, I, mean, I love that sentiment and I can, I, I can see how many, many men come into fatherhood in that way. Mine was a, an experience that was a little bit different than that in the sense that it was almost the opposing force. As we, fa- you know, found out that we were pregnant and, you know, I found out that I was going to have a son I couldn't help but be met with this experience, this really deep experience of feeling my adolescence bubble to the surface and sort of kicking and screaming of like, you know, no, like I don't want my my complete independence taken away, my complete sovereignty over being able to do whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it. And almost like a grieving of this adolescent self that had actually, I realized and came into contact with the understanding that I, I had actually been living in that way for a very long time. And here I am rounding the corner to 40 and, and I could feel this part of myself that had become very embedded into my identity. You know, that this, there was this part of me that really loved being able to do whatever I wanted to do whenever I wanted to do it, however I wanted to do it. And I had actually cultivated a very deep connection to that quality of independence that I really valued. And I valued it almost what I realized in coming into fatherhood. who was like, I actually valued that maybe above almost everything else. Hmm. And so to Come into contact with this understanding that that independence was now going to be infringed on by this entity that was dependent on me mm. was in some ways to move into the space and the and the grieving process of my truly of the last legs of my adolescence mm. and to allow myself to feel angry and to feel sad and to you know sit in meditative you know, inquiry of what what would it be like to not be able to sleep through the night and to have a child wake up every two and a half hours? And mm. how might I respond to that and to feel this visceral reaction in my body of anger? You know, like I had been slighted in some way that this, you know, this child needed something from me. And so there was a lot of me digesting and, and processing through the experience that I was about to come into contact with you know this this sort of cosmic force coming into my life Mm -hmm. that was going to require my time and my attention and uh, Vienna said something along the lines of you know having a child we were just actually talking about this on the car ride today we just went to the hospital she had to have a just a checkup and we're driving the way back and we were just talking about how becoming parents has changed us Mm. and she, she said, you know, I think the thing that has surprised me the most is how I have begun to learn how to love through responsibility, like by being responsible mm-hmm. for him. My son's name is Code. Um, but by being responsible for Code, I've actually learned a deeper like, rung or well of love. Mm-hmm. And I think that that holds true for me as well. You know, I found that there's this quality of unconditional love of grace of, of gratitude of appreciation that has been ignited within me out of this responsibility for him with him my responsibility as a father and i think that those things exist in other parts of our life you know i think i've certainly felt this in my in the work that i do with men i felt it within my career i felt it within the organization that i've built but not anywhere near to this degree mm. of responsibility, you know, to have this sort of weight thrust upon. And so I think in many ways, there was a lot of things that led up to the the birth that I had to manage through myself. You know, mm. Vienna and I talked constantly about how we thought our, our relationship would change and and how, you know, we might change as individuals. But I think those pieces were the really important parts for me. Certainly, coming to contact with that adolescence that, that didn't want to relinquish freedom.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm glad you've surfaced that too, because I do think it's something that often is not quite given its proper space, you know, within that approach. And mm. specifically, I think how, you know, from a cultural perspective that there would be a really proper ceremony right around that time mm-hmm. for fathers to actually kind of have that space to really grapple with that part of themselves, which is being asked to, to die. You know, and I wouldn't say to death in the sense of that's it, you know, you you don't get to be, you know, connect to your own boyishness anymore. That That's, that's a, a, a fallacy in a way that you lose that. But you're right. It is a kind of you are the center of the universe orientation needs to be sort of properly put down. And mm-hmm. that often that that is the function of ritual, specifically around the fatherhood time to prepare the man in a way to step into that seat. Because like you said, I mean, it doesn't go willingly. Because, you know, if it's been there for a while and, and properly, in a sense, is there, that um, they really, the need to kind of compassionately, but fiercely say, okay, that time is over. And I wonder for you, yeah, was there any ritual that was held by other men that that helped you across that threshold?
0: Yeah, yeah, g- great question. And absolutely. So a part of my process was a, a group of men that myself and a good friend of mine, Mark Groves, have created to support men that are in a similar space, they held uh, a father initiation ceremony for me. And, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, however way we want to look at it, it was virtual just because of the nature of where we are right now. But it was a beautiful, potent and transformational experience that I didn't know I needed you know, that I didn't know was so required. And I think it also brought me into the awareness of how few men have other solid men to support them through that transition period in their life into this monumental change in responsibility. You know, they held this ceremony for me and it was wonderful because they they allowed me the space to s- disclose what was coming forward for me and what i was being feeling confronted by they shared with me who they who they saw me to be mm. and who they saw the father within me to be and and sort of gave language to him mm. which was really fascinating to have men that have been in my life for years speak to the father that they've always seen in me was such a profound experience because i had never really you know we we don't really come into contact with all of the archetypes of ourselves constantly and so to have other people that we trust reflecting back the this archetype was really profound mm. um and It gave that adolescent part because I I brought that into the space and said, this part of me is really struggling to let go. And so they created a space as well for, for me to give that adolescent part a voice, to be heard by other men who were already fathers, to be seen by their men who had stepped into this role before and to say you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of kicking and screaming here and like not wanting to move into this space mm. and for them to, to show me what it was like to be a parent in that moment, mm. you know, and, and to help that part relinquish control and relinquish power and to be seen by the father, to be seen by that archetype. And so, you know, in many ways that ceremony, I mean, it gave me a tremendous amount of strength and assurance and value in being able to find direction into the role to sort of like don the robes of the father mm. in in some ways and, and put and sort of put those on to be initiated in by other men who are fathers with such a beautiful experience uh, and men that that aren't, you know, but for them to allow the, the boys and them, the, the teenagers and them to speak to the father me and me and what they've seen in me. And so all of that ceremony was incredible. And, and it also gave me a chance to, to, to grieve that part, you know, mm-hmm. to grieve that adolescent who had really been thrashing around in the world for so long. And I think, in the, you know, Francis Waller said, I lived 36 years of my life pretending to be me. And then I got to let go of that. And I think in some ways, mine was exactly the same. You know, I lived 36 years of my life pretending to be me and, and you know, creating this sort of persona mm. and t- to have that radically shifted in the instant of my son entering into the world it was, it was a very interesting experience. So, mm. yeah. So, that, I mean, that ceremony was profound in a lot of ways for for many, many different reasons and, and, and parts.
1: Mm. Beautiful. Makes me think, uh, I really appreciate this term, fatherling. You know, that's mm-hmm. like uh, sort of you're, you're a fatherling, just coming out of the new uh, new birthing process too. And I wonder about that process. You know, it's I, the birth stories are, to me, they're sacred stories, right? Like they, mm-hmm. they shouldn't be spilled in any context at any moment, you know, and sometimes they're good to keep for a while before sharing anything. But I would love to hear if there is something for you, you know, that you do wish to share around that, that portal, because, you know, for me, it was deeply shamanic, you know, in the way that Mm -hmm. I'd been, I'd been around uh, at least one of the birth by that point, which is a friend, a close friend's daughter being born. So I had a little sense of the space, you know, what kind of, you know, wildness shows up and uh, can (laughs) show up. And, and so in that sense, I was really appreciative that I could have some of that instinct, you know, in the story for birth of my son. And I'll just say it it involved throwing out the birth plan entirely, involved the helicopter at sunrise. Like it was, <laughs> Adam Jackson, I think, called it, a, it was like an action movie, <laughs> which it was. But uh, for you, I'm curious, yeah, is there anything that does feel, you know, to be shared in this moment around the birth story?
0: I mean, I think what's interesting about the birth story for me is that I was very much a, an observer and a witnesser. And that much, many of the lessons of my son's birth were delivered on a platter for my wife. And I certainly had my lessons, right? Like I've been talking about this, you know, letting go and grieving of my adolescent self. But of the birth itself, I was in awe of how the birthing process unfolded in a manner that reflected the lessons that my wife was really being put in like the lessons that, that God and the universe and life were really putting in front of her Mm. and lessons that she has had to, to learn for a very, very long time. And so I'm conscious of sharing, you know, so much about the birth story, but what I can share is, you know, we had planned for the quote unquote natural birth, you know, no medication, and we were going to give birth in a birthing center. We had talked about at home, but we're, we're, we haven't moved into our house yet. We're living in a, a rental home right now. But we had both agreed on what it was going to, to look like, and months before the birth, I had an intuition. My wife and I had been talking about how long before our son came, uh, but before the due date, was she going to stop work? And <laughs> and we were having this conversation. He said, "Well, I'm gonna, you know, uh, 16 days, two, just just over two weeks, basically two weeks before." My due date is when I'm going to stop working. And I had sat with it and I was like, I, you know, I really don't agree with that. I think that you need to take more time off. I would probably recommend three to four weeks before his arrival. Hmm. And, you know, we talked about it and, being that we live in a house of stubborn hearts, you know, her her stubborn heart won out and she said, No, I, I wanna stick to the two weeks. And I said, Okay, this isn't my lesson to to embrace. And I was like, Great, I'm I'm not gonna interject here. We also had this running joke that the things that I try and bring into our relationship, the teachings that she, she, she takes a year and a half to to embrace them, you know, like when I'm, when I'm giving direction for our relationship or for her, for her specifically, she's like, it takes me a year and a half. It's just, it's an ongoing sort of joke, but um, yeah. And so she finished work on Friday, March 12th. And leading up to this, our son had been breech, rotating between breech and transverse. So basically, he's in not the right position for the birthing process at all. And he's in a, you know, he's in a position that we are doing all of these inversions to try and get him to turn, to move into a birthing position so that he's head down uh, so that we can sort of go through with this process. And he hadn't turned, he hadn't moved at all. And, uh, and so March 12th, my wife finishes work at 6 PM and, you know, we high five and she's like, "Ah, you know, I'm free. I can, I can, uh, you know, I I have all this time now. I'm going to make some soups and freeze them. And I'm going to make all this stuff and prep all this stuff and clean the house and get his baby stuff in order. Because we, I mean, we just had baby clothes everywhere, right? (laughs) Nothing, nothing was organized. The, the go bag wasn't packed for the hospital. Like, nothing, 0% was organized. (laughs) We just had, we had some stuff in the house. She, you know, she was finishing up a a program. And so she she was like, you know, I have one more module to record. And I said, well, don't record that tonight. You know, it's Friday night. It's like by this time it's seven o'clock. I was like, let's just have dinner, relax a little bit. You can record tomorrow or Sunday. And so we go to bed that night and at four o'clock in the morning, she wakes me up and She's like, I don't, I don't feel well. I was like, okay. And so she goes to the bathroom, she comes back, and she, you know, she's kind of restless and and whatnot. And and all of a sudden, all I hear is, you know, I'm I rolled back over and I'm going back to sleep. I think everything's okay. And uh and all of a sudden all I hear is, oh my God, oh my God, Connor. And then she gets out of bed and runs into the bathroom and she's like, I think my water just broke. Mm. <laughs> and of course, you know, it's four o'clock in the morning. Our child is not supposed to come for another 16 days. And, and my question is, did you piss yourself? Are you sure you didn't just pee yourself? You know, like, <laughs> cause inside I'm like, please God, no. Like, mm. And, uh, and sure enough, her water had broke and nothing was packed. And so we had to throw everything together. I for, completely forgot to bring a change of clothes. And so I ended up mm. living in the same pair of clothes for about four days in the hospital. But we, you know, we got to the hospital. He hadn't turned he was still breach. You know, he was in a pretty compromised position. And so they had to bring her in for uh, for a C-section. And, um, and you know, we had talked about the possibility of that happening and, and how we would, you know, navigate that, but nothing really prepares you for that. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And being in that room, you know, with eight other people and going through that process and uh, we were fortunate enough to have a doula and I remember sitting outside of the operating room and, and she's giving me the crash course on what's about to happen. And how, mm-hmm. and the way she was describing, it, I'm sitting there like, what the hell am I walking into? Like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? <laughs> mm-hmm. So again, you know, I think how he came into the world was perfect as it was. I think in many ways, there was a lot of lessons there within our, within our relationship and our family system mm-hmm. and, and our structure And, and yet it was still perfect. You know, he came in, he's healthy. And those first few hours of getting to be with him were magical. You know, I'll never, I'll never forget. We, they, you know, we went back into our, into our room after he had been, after he he came out. And, um, you know, we're just sort of sitting around staring at him, just looking at him. And I was like, what, what, what just happened? You know, you're kind of in shock especially, you know, especially when it comes to the C-section, it's, you're not, you're not going through this 24 hour process of like going through the breathing and, you know, helping your partner go through the work. It happens in an hour and a half, you know, maybe less. And so it's really a quick, almost jarring entrance, but then we're sitting there and we had just, you know, he had fed and we, we put him down and he he made noises for the first time. Mm. And it was like something opened in my chest. And I just started crying Mm. to just hear these like little noises and sounds. And suddenly the tidal wave of the experience of becoming a father rushed over me, you know, just consumed me. And it was such a beautiful experience to just hear the sounds of life, the sound of dependence the sound of love the sound of joy you know the sound of you know the sound of of my son and so it was i think maybe i'll just leave it there because that's you know that was such a a beautiful part of the experience to to witness and to have
1: Mm -hmm.
0: thanks for spilling that
1: this way to the listener as well yeah i feel that the tenderness and the awe you know mixed together which i think Mm -hmm. is so much a part of that and you know i'm recalling i think it was russell brand and some bit on his stand-up, you know, where he, he, he talks about the birth, I think, of his child. But yeah, he gets out and he's like walking around being like, oh my God, that's how it happens. That's how you like, that's how you happen. That's how you happen. And really just channeling that off, right? Because it really is it's like, what?
0: That's how well, it I I will say that I remember holding my son and, and looking at him right after it happened. And I looked at my wife and I was like, he's a miracle. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Un, unequivocally, unquestionably, undeniably. He is a miracle, and I was like, I came out that way. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you came into the holy fuck. Like we're all a miracle, and it was just this sort of like, you know, like the <laughs> the the miracle of existence. I think Einstein says something along the lines of like, at some point in in everyone's life, you have to decide where the the universe is is a safe place or a non-safe place, whether it's a good place or or an evil place. And I think in that moment, it was like. I didn't even need to logically think about it. You know, it just was answered for me by seeing him. Mm-hmm. And so it was such a, you know, one of those experiences where words fail catastrophically. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Terrence McKenna said that our, our language is a, in some ways a technology that, that is incomplete. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's very true in, in many ways because we have these experiences that we can't, we can't, express you know we, we, we really can't communicate experientially what those things were and i think it puts us into contact with the divine and with the mystery and and in that moment i had certainly come into contact with them you know it was as much of a mysterious whimsical experience as as you know doing DMT or ayahuasca or, or, you know, magic mushrooms and being ejected into another dimension of some form, (laughs) it's like, whoa, here's this little entity that just came into the world. And especially as a father, like, you know, you can put your hand on the belly, you can hear the heartbeat, you can see the sonograms and whatnot, but you're not, you're not carrying the gestation and the incubation of this child for nine months. And so there's, there is this sort of natural barrier that I think that for a lot of fathers doesn't truly hit them until, you know, the child is there. And then all of a sudden there's a very different experience that a father has. Yeah. I don't, and I'm not too sure if that was your experience as well, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, there's something about the yeah, that encounter. I mean, the being is there, of course. You know, only millimeters away within the womb, and yet somehow, of course, yeah. When they're when they've arrived, and you know, I, I'm thinking of your you know newsletter that came out. I think soon after, but you wrote mm-hmm. a line. You said fathers are fundamental, mm-hmm. and I wonder how that's shown up now, perhaps in the in the time after as well. You know, because they do say that the the time is the fourth trimester. You know, outside, mm-hmm. and that babies, in fact, are born. You know, as other mammals. Kind of early because they need to fit outside before the heads get too big, and so nature's intelligence, right, was like, okay, let's uh, let's put them out a little early, but you know, trust the humans will take care of them. And I'm curious how the role his father has shown up for you now in this time after.
0: Yeah, you know, I intentionally created space for myself to be away from my business and to just be present, and I think in many ways. When I say fathers are fundamental, I th- I believe that the presence of a father plays such a significant role within the child's life, you know, that the archetype and the mythology around fatherhood is and an almost always has been this, this one of presence and yet enigmatic non-presence, you know, that the, that the father is both when he's there, he's there in such a degree that that his presence is what speaks the loudest. And when he's not, what's felt the most is that his presence has vanished. And so, you know, I, I took, it will have been eight weeks now. Um, It's six weeks now, but by the time I really go back to work and start seeing clients and really get back into my business in a, in a robust way, it will have been eight weeks. And that felt important for me to carve out this sort of, out of the womb, secondary womb cocoon that I could be a part of, you know, that I could be a part of my son's coming into the world and to just be with him and to have his neural pathways and his nervous system form with mine in the safety of the environment with my presence fully there. And I I get that that is in many ways, it's a privilege to be able to do that. Not everyone can do that. And, you know, unfortunately, our society does such a a disservice to family systems writ large, you know, for mothers and fathers in general to be able to be present for a child when it enters into into this form of reality. And so so that that really was my commitment. I I think there's probably more that I can say, but I think the biggest piece for me has just been being present, you know, being present for the 2 a.m changes and mm-hmm. being present for the 715 In the morning, you know, we've we've got five and a half, five hours of sleep, and my wife needs more. And so I take him downstairs and, you know, he comes with dad on, you know, making coffee and doing breath work and (laughs) all those types of pieces. And and then to just sit with him, you know, to to just be with him. And and I think that has been such a gift for again, selfishly for me as well, to just know that as he entered into the world. I was able to be there for him in the way that in which I really wanted to. You know, th- it was important for me as a man, as a father, as a husband, to be able to to be there in that capacity, and you know, I did a lot of work on the back end to ensure that that could happen. You know, I I really worked my ass off for the last year and a half, knowing that this was an aim for me to be there for my son when he entered into the world. Because I know I won't always be there. There's going to be times where I'm away and leading weekends and doing retreats, and you know th- those things are still important for me. Uh, former mentor of mine, Philip McKernan. I'll never forget. He was on stage talking about becoming a parent. And he said, I would live for my kids. I would literally take a bullet for them Uh, or I would die. I would die for my kids. I would literally take a bullet from, but I will not live my life for them. Mm. And I think that that has in some ways uh, speaks a lot to fatherhood. You know, that, that we are present for our children in a very deep, meaningful way as, as we define for ourselves. And as, you know, as we, as we can based on the research and based on what we know of being fathers, but, but that we're there for them without compromising our purpose, you know, without compromising what gives us meaning, without compromising what fulfills us as a man so that we can continue to fill our own internal cup in and have that peace so that when we are present, we can be present. I think one of the challenges I see a lot within our culture and our society today and for generations past is like people are just distracted. You know, they're distracted by existential questioning, they're distracted by media, they're distracted by election results and pandemics. And I mean, there's just, there's, there will always be something to be distracted from the most meaningful aspects of your life. There will always be those things. It doesn't matter, right? We'll, We'll, Get out of the pandemic and there'll be another thing to be distracted from your family, from your purpose, from the things that matter to you most. And for me, I think part of the, the thing that I think is so fundamental about fathers is that we can do ourselves service by committing to the responsibility of full presence when we can give it right? And and to align and structure our lives in a way, at least this was my aim and this is my belief. It doesn't mean that everyone has to, you know, coincide with it. And it doesn't even mean that it's right. But for me, it was important to align and structure my life in such a way where I could just be there and to know that he doesn't really need anything else from me right now, other than to take care of myself and to be there and to love him and to hold him and to have skin to skin and to feel what it's like for him to sleep on my chest. And I mean, that's just bliss, you know? And so, yeah, I'm sure we could probably go further into that topic, but I I would say that that's... Yeah. Thank you, Connor. You know,
1: we could turn towards the relationship too, which is, you know, also an tender moment. And, you know, you interviewed uh, Steven Jenkinson not too long ago on the podcast. And, you know, he spoke about the necessity of the parents actually to not turn their purpose into parenting. Mm-hmm. Actually, how vital that is, because that is often the sway, right? Of course, all the duties and the laundry and the dishes and the rest and that the necessity of actually tending to that cup, that well of the relationship with your partner is vital to then be that which you know springs forth to actually support your parenting from a resourced place. And so That's, uh, I I just see it over and over and over in in new parents as well. They just completely get obliterated by Mm -hmm. the very real challenges and really the absence of the kinds of support that would make the project, you know, more, just more possible because it's sort of, uh, unless one is really surrounded by a lot of people who are willing to do the kinds of work that is useful, which I'll just say, you know, often the separation between friends now starts to creep in pretty quick. Yeah, which is Mm -hmm. those that have kids and get it, And those that don't, and that doesn't mean they're better or worse. It just means that yeah, their orbits don't match anymore. You know that that even simple things. You know they come visit and they do the dishes for you. Like bam, that's amazing help. Actually, not to you know process emotions necessarily. Like there's these fundamental Mm -hmm. helpful things that you know that begin to seem just really necessary for your own sanity. And so yeah, I I wish that for you and your partner to yeah, to tend that that cup
0: between you as well and to get the support you need. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, it's, yeah, it's only been six weeks now, but certainly what we've noticed so far is having those logistical maintenance pieces <laughs> taken care of is like such a gift. Mm. You know, we've had a couple of friends come and stay with us to meet our son. And, uh, and it really has been, such a, such a gift to have them just do those simple things to support around the house. Mm. Um, But also, you know, for us to ensure, I think one of the important things that we've really found to be helpful is that we have, we have our own self-maintenance that we can carry on, you know, and so giving her time to go and do her thing and have a bath or to stretch or whatever she needs. And for me to, you know, have my own space to go and do breath work and, Mm. and do the sort of internal maintenance that I need so that there's. There's still that connection to self, uh, so so valuable. And mm-hmm. you know, again, neither of us have re entered into the workforce as of yet fully, mm-hmm. which I'm sure will bring just a, I, I mean, I. I just signed for a book. So I'm going to be writing a book this year on top of running my business and, mm-hmm. and she will be as well in the not so distant future. And so it's going to bring its own, mm-hmm. own level of, uh, of reorganization. You know, I think mm-hmm. that's what children really do is that they, they bring us a, a certain quality of reorganization. That's hard to describe. And and I think hard to experience in life without them, you know, because mm-hmm. otherwise, you can sort of organize things the way that you want. And all of a sudden, when you have this entity in, inject itself into your life, you ha- you sort of have to organize things around them in a certain fashion. And that is both very valuable. And I think it's a very t- teaching experience if we allow it, but it can also be wildly frustrating, you know, mm. wildly frustrating. <laughs> well, you know, I uh,
1: interviewed recently a fellow named uh, Ramon Parish, who's an instructor at uh, Naropa. And mm. in our interview, we talked a bit about fatherhood, but yeah, he said, uh, His toddler reorganized his nervous system, which I I was like, "Boom, that's really good." So all I I can say is, uh, "Get ready, because you know the the that is coming, and and it seems to be part of it." And you know, I'd love to return to this maybe a year from now, right? And and Mm -hmm. jam again on what does it look like now in fatherhood, and you know what's changed and what hasn't. And you know what have you learned? So perhaps
0: yeah, we re- revisit in the times to come. Yeah, that'd be that'd be wonderful. We can we can jam as dads. I'll have a little mm. bit more experience under my belt. <laughs> Beautiful, wonderful. Thanks so much, Ian, and uh, thanks for everyone that's that's tuning in. Uh, you know, whether you are a parent or a father, certainly you meant it forward. Share this episode with somebody that you know could benefit from it. Whether they're questioning becoming a parent or Uh, they are one and they're looking for resources and they just want to have a different conversation or hear a conversation about it definitely share this episode don't forget to rate and subscribe wherever you are until next week this is connor beaton signing off